No matter if the economy is up or down, healthcare careers continue to grow, especially in management. Stevenson University Online's Master's in Healthcare Management can put your career on a new track, especially for career changers with previous business, HR, or technology backgrounds. Discover new opportunities with our Healthcare Management Masters. No GREs, no application fees, and 100% online. Visit online.stevenson.edu slash healthcare management. Podcast. I'm Charlotte. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. We are three young researchers that want to highlight the importance of women in agriculture who are part of the STEM community. We are so proud to be part of this and we want to share with you the real life of some extraordinary women making a difference in their field. Let's break the stereotypes and show what we really are. Are you ready to be inspired? another episode of the Illuminata podcast. Today I really have an amazing guest to present. We have Shannon Spate. Uh, Shannon is the CEO of co-founder of Black Box Co, an innovative SaaS product solving big data problems in the livestock industry. Aside from Black Box, Shannon is a wife, mother, farmer and qualified veterinarian. She has extensive experience across the beef industry from beginning work as a Gilaru in the Northern Territory to coordinating a large-scale beef genomics project. Shannon is passionate about the beef industry and innovation to make a more sustainable, productive and profitable. You're Wonder Woman. That's awesome. <laughs> so many things. <laughs> Welcome. No, it makes it pretty good. Thanks yes. for having me. Thanks, Thanks Emily. And so, it's great that you, you you made time for us. That's awesome. And thank uh, you so much. How are you? All good? <laughs> yes, good. Ready, ready? good. ready to roll. Ready? Yeah. Okay, let's start with this. So we always, uh, we usually start with the personal questions. Could you please give us a quick biography? Where are you from, your childhood and life path? Yeah, so... Um, I was born in Mount Isa in Queensland. It's in kind of North Queensland in the outback, pretty remote. Um, actually to two uh, geologists and they, my mother and father had immigrated over from South Africa with my older sister, Joanne. And um, I was the first Australian to be born in the family. And yeah, grew up in Mount Isa for six years before we started moving around the country. We moved to uh, Perth and then across to the UK and then to Brisbane. Um, at that point, I did one year of uh, a Bachelor of Science in, in Brizzy at UQ. And my parents moved to Brazil and then back to the UK before going to Canada and then finally back in Australia. So they kind of kicked me out of the nest at about 17 and I kind of had to find my own way from there. So I did one year of university at, the, at UQ and then did a Bachelor of Veterinary Science down in Sydney 
Uh, I spent three years down in Sydney doing vet science and kind of coasting along, having probably too good a time um, socialising and drinking and whatnot, um, just saying peas get degrees and whatnot. And so ended up deferring and moving to the Northern Territory to work on a cattle property outside of Catherine. And that was really because I acknowledged that I wasn't getting enough beef experience in at Sydney University. And that was the industry that I wanted to work in and I had no experience on the ground. So that was a pretty um, stark awakening. I, I spent the most amazing time up there, uh, deferred a year and then a further year to work up there. Um, ended up meeting my husband and then moved across to the Tablelands to work as a vet. Um, worked as a vet in, in Atherton, then down in Charters Towers and Longreach before ending up on the Coffee Genomics Project. Um, and then moving more recently into my role at Black Box. Um, and I guess in the meantime, getting, getting married and having a, starting a family. That's amazing. That sounds a long journey. I just wanted to ask you, like, how did you, how did you feel to be kicked out of, are you, you were saying, from your nest at so early age? And do you think that this, this helped you to, to get where are you now? Or... Yeah, I think, um, look, if I wasn't kicked out, I probably would have shortly moved out. I've always been pretty fiercely independent and we've moved around um, quite a lot for a family. In fact, the place that I've lived longest is Mount Isa, which was where I was from zero to six. And I think we're in about three different houses during that time as well. So always kind of been been roaming around and, and that's been made me really get used to the fact that I can make friends in any place and can kind of settle in and have learned a lot of things from those experiences. So yeah, I think if 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 I didn't get pushed out, I probably would have left on my own pretty pretty soon after. Can I ask you if if it's not too much? How old are you? I'm 29. Oh my god. <laughs> You're so young. Are you already done? I'm 28. You, and, you and, and Charlotte are the, are the same age. Shush. Yes, I'm, I'm 28. <laughs> yeah, and wow. You have already two kids and you have your own. My God, that's why. <laughs> well done. Um, I have a question, Shannon. Uh, in your bio, what is it? Agilaru? Is that a, a slang for a word or what does it mean? Um, yeah, so it's the female version of jackaroo, and a jackaroo is someone who works on a station and musters oh. cattle okay. and whatnot. So, yeah, they, um, they're probably the lowest um, on the rung in terms of farm priorities. They, they're the, the sheep kickers, basically, but a lot of fun. <laughs> Sounds like it. So was it your dream? What was your child dream? In terms of like career yeah. goals, yeah. So, well, my like my childhood dream was I was always going to become a vet. That was absolutely it. From um, pretty well as soon as I can remember, writing down any kind of career path, and it was very much to save the orangutans. Um, I was obsessed with orangutans, like a, a true conservationist. Was even a vegetarian at one point. So it's pretty stark reality from where I've ended up. And I think it's it's been a series of experiences that have, have changed my interests. 
And now I'm absolutely in love with the beef industry and making that sustainable and productive. We still we still sponsor an orangutan, but and I've been to Borneo, but that's about where my involvement ends with the orangutans at the moment. What do you like the most on the beef industry? Yeah, it's the it's definitely the people and the sense of community. Like there's I felt when I went to work on the station in the territory that I just finally found people that I resonated with. Everybody is incredibly hardworking and resilient. You know, they're they're out to help each other um, and tend to have a, a sense of a rising tide lifts all boats and just a deep sense of connection to the land and to their cattle. So did you have any role models? growing or if you have any role models at the moment yeah i i always have role models and mentors and i think they evolve in the different seasons of my life and um kind of as i progress through my own career but certainly my co-founder emma black is is one of my role one of my biggest role models we're both young mothers we both we've got four boys between us and uh, she has significant experience in the beef industry and has been a huge inspiration and asset to Black Box and just in where we can take this and, and how much benefit it can have to the industry. And then similarly, the people, people that we've been working with, um, right from, you know, people like Julie McDonald, who's um, the CFO of MDH, is absolutely outstanding to uh, you know people like Richard Rains and David Footy who are, are leaders in the industry and will always be and then also the smaller producers that I've always worked with Andrew McTaggart and Jim Lindsay they have been fundamental in shaping how I've viewed cattle and um, opportunities within my own career. I love the the fact we have models depend depending on the season, depending on what point of your career you are or your life you are. I like this. Yeah, absolutely. And I find that um, I guess you don't have one mentor role yeah. model that fits in boxes. Um, and there's things that you want to pick and choose. So that's that's what I do basically. Yeah, because we change during our life. We change. Luckily, we change. Thanks. <laughs> and we we grow and we learn new things and. We get, yeah, we get more wise, uh, wise, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> I love that. All right. Next question is what inspired you to pursue a career in science? I guess you already answered, you wanted to be a vet. That was your dream. Yeah, I think I also always loved the logic of science. Like I, um, right from a young age, had a little chemistry kit and I love maths and physics and biology, I was just obsessed with it all. I would not, I've kind of really struggled with the creative side. And I know in one of the podcasts that I listened to, you said creativity and science go hand in hand. Um, and I've definitely struggled with with oh, that, wow. that range. <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely right. I think to be a problem solver, you have to be creative. And I, I guess I always thought creativity was you know, writing stories and doing paintings. But I think there's creative problem solving in science and that's what I love too. Yeah, but creativity creativity is not just art. It could be in different shapes. Everyone is creative in, in their own way. Yeah, yeah. yeah we I all, love that. We're all creative. I am curious, Shannon, you are the winner of um, the, two, was it 2018 or 19? Of the Sanda McDonald? 2019, yeah. 
how was the experience? Um, what motivated you to, to apply? And then what experience did you get out of that award? Yeah, so I was motivated to apply for the Zena McDonald Award actually by a number of the producers that I worked with. They, um, One of them was a member of the Triple P, which is the founding group of the Zena McDonald Award, had just come back from New Zealand and spoke about this amazing winner, Thomas McDonald, who had started a, um, a sheep dairy over in New Zealand um, to manufacture powdered sheep products, basically sheep milk products. And I thought there is no way in hell I could stand up to anything that matched that. Um, and he said, well, give it a crack and I'll back you. And so I did. And I kind of kept on progressing through the rounds of the interviews and eventually ended up winning with um, my co-winner, Luke Evans. And it was the most amazing experience. We we got a personalised mentoring trip that we where we toured around uh, Australia and New Zealand um, and met with just the most amazing leaders in their field from people who were really into, you know, sheep genetics and stud side of things to commercial dairies. Um, we visited like Maori-run corporations, which just had so much diversification of their land to like a, a deer and velveting operation. It was just absolutely incredible. I think that we even went to a like a salad factory, which is which is so far out of my field, but there were so many takeaways from it. And I think the aspect that you can learn from not only your neighbors and people within your industry, but to, to like stepping outside of the jar and just going, okay, what's happening outside? Like what can I take away? And I didn't have a property at that stage or anything like that so I was taking away kind of leadership management um those kind of aspects from it and it was instrumental in what I'm doing now really gave me the courage to progress and step out and I keep in touch with everybody I've met on a weekly if not daily basis that's amazing and you did this with your baby right when he yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah um so little fred um i went into went into labor the day after we the award um so we're all at a conference in port douglas and um luckily i don't live too far from port douglas so kind of the next day I drove i had a had a tour around a, a coffee factory in a pawpaw plantation and then I was like I think this is it so we drove into hospital and sure enough he arrived the following day so I ended up having to give some like radio interviews from the hospital bed and whatnot and just kind of started the journey from there but I loved it 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 means that that kid if if he wants a life in farming he will have the best start to life because everybody has just taken them under his wing and he yeah he he got flown around on a private jet around Australia and New Zealand so I don't think there's too many you know two-year-olds that can say they did that Um, I think he took something like 50 flights before he was about six months old with that journey it was just yeah, incredible. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> I can't believe it. Like you're a Wonder Woman. Um, no, not Wonder yes. Woman. It takes you it takes a village. You uh, are. The, I could not do it without the help. <laughs> no, it's never Wonder Woman. Yeah. Wonder Women, plural. There was definitely <laughs> a lot of scenes. <laughs> and how was the experience of founding your own startup 
Yeah, it, oh, it's been an incredible journey. Um, so basically, like, I kind of had this idea lingering and it had, it had come up a number of times that um, as I was working on the genomics project, that there was this massive data out there and it just wasn't being used within the own business, let alone going beyond the fence uh, or the front gate rather, and kind of being integrated with the supply chain. And having worked on that project, I realised how fundamental a, a data flow to keep up these genomic predictions we were doing was important. Um, and that it can't just end when the project ends. So to be honest, I was kind of sick of complaining about it and sick of waiting for somebody else to put up their hand and say, we'll do it. So I just set about starting to do it. Um, and I got one company on board and thought, okay, well, you know, had no, no technical experience or anything like that. Just chucked all their data in an Excel spreadsheet and hoped for the best in my company computer crash like straight away so pretty quickly realized we need to make it cloud-based we need to automate it we need to have ingestion filters I need people that are way smarter than me yeah started started working with Emma Black who was actually the inaugural winner of the Zena McDonald award and then we started working with a fellow called Jeffrey Donaldson who's now our CTO and has brought on an entire tech team so we've we've very much gone from one person to six full-time staff working on it. We've grown the database from, yeah, zero to eight, over 800,000 animals. We're working with five of the largest pastoral companies in Australia. Um, yeah, it's it's been incredible. We're, we're expanding trials pretty quickly and looking forward towards commercialization, starting to form some pretty exciting strategic partnerships. And yeah, it's, it's really taken off. It's, it's been a completely new experience going from research to business. But I think that's kind of where my heart always was. I love to see research that can be commercialized and is going to have um, a value proposition output at the end of the day, that's going to benefit our, our farmers and our beef industry. So it's always very much steered by that commercialization aspect and how things can work beyond, beyond the fantastic research that everyone does. Amazing. And I guess it's a lot of uh, networking as well that has helped this idea to kind of like cement and, and, and take off. I think that's very valuable being able to do networking, especially in the industry, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that is that's probably one of my fundamental strengths is ability to network and just spark a conversation with anyone. There's, there's very few people that I can't just keep on chatting to. So I think that's part of growing up all over the world. And the Zena McDonald Award certainly exposed me to a whole range of people that I wouldn't have contact with. And that has just helped and yeah, it's amazing how the network just grows and grows and grows. And there's people we've been working with for, you know, over the last probably nine months now. And we've never met them face to face because I guess that's the reality that we live in. But we meet with them weekly and they're heavily involved in what we're doing. And to be honest, they never, they never had a reason to help us other than a recommendation from somebody else that they knew. That has been fantastic, just that, that amazing network. And what's the future of Black Box Co? What's yeah, so I guess the, the immediate future is um, very much on commercialization. So over this next year, we're expanding our trials, we're bringing on another 
probably four pastoral companies that are interested and expanding to some feedlot sites and then smaller family operations. Then we're looking at early commercial commercialization early next year and then integrating into the lamb industry as well. Similar problems exist there and we've got um, lots of callings from the lamb industry saying, hey, when can you roll this out? So um, hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have a, have start to have some trial offerings there and yeah, take it from there. That's awesome. Well done. <laughs> As the CEO of the company, how does a normal day look like for you? I would love to, um, to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, if I, if I start from the beginning, it, it, it starts with um, a 5.30 a.m. howl from one of my kids. So <laughs> they get up pretty early and ship them off to daycare. We are we're 45 minutes away from the closest town. So um, we have to yeah, drive them into daycare, whatnot. But a normal day in terms of business starts with usually a lot of meetings, a lot of Zoom time. I never thought I'd be sick of meetings, but uh, I'm getting that way. <laughs> how many? So how many? Over how many per, per day <laughs> on average? <laughs> yeah, I normally have five to six meetings a day. And so it doesn't leave much time between to get stuff done. So I try to cram all my meetings in towards the start of the week so that I can action on items um, that come out of those meetings because there's always more to do. <laughs> so it can be anything from um, Emma Emma Black deals entirely basically with all our project partners and the technical team and Jeff's across all of that so I focus on our strategic partnerships financials capital raises that sort of thing so I guess as an example today I chatted with our advisory board I then had a meeting with a journalist and then a meeting with a venture capitalist and then a meeting with Emma and then I got to do some paperwork and then you guys. Oh, amazing. Wow. <laughs> but this is a different kind of meeting. <laughs> it's far more relaxed. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I have a tendency to basically sit down normally at about eight o'clock and then just keep on going. I hardly leave my desk until about three then I'm burnt out. I'm very much a, a morning to midday productivity person. And then um, I can't do very much after then. So then I'm just touching, like getting back on emails and stuff like that. I try to keep anything important um, apart from this podcast, of course, to the, to the early morning. <laughs> we usually ask, why did you choose to work on topic? But I guess I'm going to tailor this question more specifically towards why genomic? data so i guess in terms of, is that in terms of the genomics project or in terms of black box i think everything both well yeah so it well in terms of the genomics project and why i chose to work on that i think i saw it as a huge opportunity the beef it was like on the forefront of technology and it still is for the beef industry like i was um on the ground learning and educating people at the same time about genomics and it was a fantastic way to get a better understanding of how it all is because i had to explain it to people who had absolutely no idea how it worked what it is you know what dna is that sort of thing. So to be able to really understand something to the point that you can kind of like sketch it out on the back of a napkin and go, this is 
this is how it works. And I, um, you know, the the whole team at Coffee and, um, you know, Ben and everybody is far smarter than me and understand so much more, but I think I grasped enough understanding so that I could correctly translate what they were working on into some sort kind of plain English. Um, and I think that was maybe the, the core reason why I was employed on the project is just being able to speak farmer. And has, that's definitely helped me <laughs> throughout my career. So that was fantastic. And I think since then, I've just got a, a taste for it and a taste for data and how powerful it can be. So with Black Box, we really focus on phenotypic information. So everything from, uh, you know, fetal ages and live weights to carcass data and quality statistics, that sort of thing. And that in itself is so incredibly powerful just even summarising this information is stuff that producers haven't seen before, let alone doing basic forecast modelling or, you know, when you start to talk about machine learning and predictions, they're just like the eyes widen and there is that much data out there though that um, that's what we're starting to work on and that is really, really exciting. I agree. As a PhD student, I guess, being in this world of genomic-driven improvement it's just first of all very very hard to learn but let alone translate that for the rest of people it's <laughs> so very hard but really admire it's the um, future yes yes definitely yeah uh, unless that gets translated in a way that other people can be can make use of it then i think we're sort of yeah in this research area without necessarily having the outcomes that we want i think very much for it to become the future it it involves having it commercial and widespread and for that to happen you need farmers to be able to talk comfortably about genomics as if they know what's happening you know the same way that they know putting up a fence is going to keep cattle in they need to know what genomics they heard and so that's kind of the attitude that I adopt is we can think it's fantastic but unless we can explain it in really clear terms then it's kind it's so limited in its adoption and use because people just don't use and pay for like it's it's still fairly expensive for for things that they don't understand now sort of shifting more the focus towards highlighting women in agriculture what do you think it's important especially to highlight um, women that work in the beef cattle industry yeah so i think like obviously I'm kind of working in two areas that are significantly male dominated tech and agriculture. And to be honest, I haven't I haven't seen mine being being female as a disadvantage. Obviously, I don't know if it would be a lot easier if I was a man. But I think it's just about stepping out there and having a go. And there are such amazing role models and women in agriculture and technology now that you can look up to. They're not necessarily doing the exact same thing you're doing but as I said before with the role models that question you can kind of pick and choose and I think it's an awesome industry to be in ag tech is just absolutely taking off um, and the agriculture sector is seeing an increase in female leaders and that's going to be coming through right from you know there's, there's a lot more female jilleroos well they're all female but there's a lot more jilleroos than jackaroos now and I'm looking forward to seeing that how that progresses um, kind, of, kind of up the chain and, and into those executive level positions for the future. 
Exactly. And I think your story um, of success is very, very inspiring. Um, I'm, I'm very glad, but you just mentioned you haven't then um, encountered difficulties then in this area, especially because we tend to ask, like, did you ever encounter difficulties in a male-dominated environment? But that's just to highlight whether, especially female researchers have experienced like issues with gender inequality or disparity and such. So I'm just curious to see, yeah, to see your opinion on what the beef industry is like. Yeah. Look, to be honest, because it, just because I haven't felt like I've experienced difficulties doesn't mean that they're not out there and it doesn't mean that other women aren't. So I never want to, um, you know, marginalise their voices by saying that the beef industry doesn't have a problem with that. It hasn't been my experience. I think one of the biggest things, and I don't think this is prejudice, it's it's just the juggle, is is basically having a family is is hard if you want to progress your career as a woman in, in any aspect, you know, whether it be male-dominated or not. Um, and without a doubt, I'd say the rule over is, is very much that women are, you know, uh, the homemaker and raise the child and me and my husband Luke have, have very split duties at home and um, very he's very hands-on but at the end of the day when the child gets sick there is only one person they want um, and it's you and also you don't want to be away from your family as much so I found that in terms of definitely having Fred and before having Fred, I, I used to travel 60,000 kilometres a year for the genomics project and always be on the road. And then after that, you just don't have that same desire. And so you need to find different ways to connect with the producers um, and stay, stay across your networks. Um, and I think that is probably one of the biggest challenges. So I guess how I tackled that was um, all, all of the producers knew I had a kid. They all knew his name. They all sent me gifts, basically. He went to visit a few properties. And I think in the beef industry, potentially it helps because a lot of them are family-run operations. And so they understand. And that is something that you can instantly connect with. Um, and they, they kind of take you under their wing um, and guide you as well. So... I think there's there's positive and negatives to it, but at the end of the day, it, it's it's a struggle and a juggle um, to have a family and a career in in any industry. Yes, yes, we have definitely discussed this with the previous um, host, and it has come up quite consistently that in order to support women, like especially going from um, throughout their career towards leadership roles. We need to definitely have supportive, a supportive environment, supportive partners, in general, supportive system. And um, to me, it's kind of hopeful because I'm in that generation where I'm aspiring to see where, you know, if I see women at the top of, uh, of the academic ladder, I said, oh, okay, I can achieve that. It is actually possible. I want to found, uh, if I want to also found startup, then I see Shana and I say, okay, that is possible actually. So I'm very, I'm very glad that we, we get to do this, to interview women that share their experiences in the, this podcast. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. And I think one thing I'd say is like, don't be limited just because, because there's not a woman there now doesn't mean you can't be the first. Exactly. Um, you know, some of us would be the first. Absolutely. Um, so I, yeah, I actually, 
like, and I'm probably overlooking some company, but I don't know of an ag tech startup that has been run by two female founders. But that, to be honest, that was ne- never even crossed my mind. It was just um, probably dogged determination and um, a lot of stubbornness that thought, well. What do you think should be done to increase the number of females in STEM? Yeah, so I was, I was thinking about this. I think definitely what sparked my interest from an early age was just even right from starting at home and with parents you know the toys that you give your kids and I'm noticing this with the boys is you know boys get trucks and building blocks and all this and girls are getting um, makeup kits and dolls and stuff and I am just want to give my kids science kits and you know like microscopes and stuff like that so I think it's something we can do universally across both genders but I, I honestly think that's where my passion started like having a little chemistry kit as like a six or seven year old where you put like I think raisins in some soda water and watch them bounce around and stuff like that I think that's where it all starts um and basically just exposing them to the opportunities as as they're going through school and university and the diverse range that it goes into that it's not it's not just research it can be business it can be um part of a bigger industry like the beef industry and what advice do you have for young girls, women interested in going into this the beef cattle industry? I guess also someone who might be interested on, you know, starting their own business. What advice would yeah. you give to us? <laughs> to, to you guys. I don't know that you guys need my advice. I think there's um there's probably better advice out there. Um but definitely like in terms of what I'd say to anybody at any age is like you do not know the potential that you hold like you can you can do anything if you set your mind to it um and I think often we put limitations on what we can achieve based on you know the tribes that we live in you know we if we're surrounded by people that are all you know, at a certain level or all doing the same thing or live in the same town, grew up there, then we tend to do that too. Um, and so it's it's get out and don't put a limit on your capability, you know. Find those people that you aspire to be and hang around them as much as possible and then one day you will inspire others to be like you. Can we hang out with you every day? <laughs> <laughs> What is a cool science fact that that only you know because of your job? I like this question. Oh, that is a good one. You didn't send me that beforehand. Oh, this though, is a so new I one. Have... I just saw it now. <laughs> is it you, Emily? You put that? Yeah. Awesome. So, man, the right ovary was easier to find than the left. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> When you're rectally palpating a cow, I can always find the right one in about a tenth of the time. I can find the left. I don't think that's scientific, but <laughs> that's my experience after uh, 30,000. <laughs> okay, and our last question is, what advice would you give to your younger self? Just basically to, yeah, go for it, that uh, your potential is limitless, your capability is limitless, and there's really nothing stopping you from what you want to achieve. If you want to start a company and you have no funds, then there's ways to find funding. If you, uh, you know, want to start new research 
you want to find collaborators, there's always somebody that's willing to take something on if it's a good enough idea. So I think that is important that there's there's no limits and there's always a workaround. Um, there's yeah, a million ways to skin a cat just to get to get it done. I think that's that's important to remember. That's perfectly say. <laughs> I have a question going back or like going back, we were saying before previously, I was wondering before you founded your company, Black Box, what, what you were feeling like before, like you were scared to start your own company. Like what was that feeling? It's a, it, when you find, found a company, it's like a series of little incremental decisions. So you kind of first like register a business and you don't really have a business but you register a business and then it was really early on that investors were interested so we worked um we got investment from spark labs cultivate which are an ag incubator they invested in us when i literally just had an idea at a usb with some data on it and so I think that was the, one of the scary stages where we had investors and we went, wow, I can't just wake up tomorrow and decide not to do this. And that was one of the best things that happened to me was going, okay, you're accountable and you've got to do this um, and you're going to stick to it. And then you just keep on sticking to it and then bringing on employees full time is definitely scary. You know, you're responsible for people's wages, you know, whether they're the sole breadwinner in their family or not. It's their lives and their career paths. And, you know, that's always intimidating, but you just keep on taking steps. And then, you know, before you know it, you, you've actually got somewhat of a business. <laughs> So we, we still feel pretty, pretty scrappy, but we're getting it done and we're working with some amazing people, amazing companies, and we're really, really proud of the product that we've created. It's, it's been influential with those businesses already. Of course, that's wonderful that what you're doing, like really, it's just inspiring as you are. I'm sure you guys have, I think I'm, I might be what... I was looking through the list. I'm, I'm probably the only person without a title on your podcast. It's, it's major imposter syndrome being interviewed by you guys because everyone's a professor or a doctor or associate professor. Or... No, I just want to say something like you, ha you have 29, you have two kids, you founded your own company. Come on. Come on, woman. You're amazing. <laughs> everyone, everyone is amazing in their right. own way. Thank you so much. No, thank you, for us thank you. And to chat with us and to share your insight, to share everything, your life. Oh, oh, it was a very inspiring story. And we thank you so much for, for joining us in this episode. You're wonderful and no. you're, you're awesome. <laughs> you're absolutely you. awesome. Was, giving me the confidence boost I needed on a Thursday and afternoon. Be proud of you. Life. Be proud of you because you're an awesome person and... Uh, Thank you, ladies. So Wonderful podcast. Love what, love what you guys are doing. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Illuminata podcast, where we highlight the story of STEM women in agriculture. Stay, Stay tuned for the next episode. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website, 
at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC.